Hey, welcome back. This is Flower Bombs, episode five. I am your host, Michael Flowers, and this episode, I am going to talk about death. Why am I talking about death? Well, just like most things that pop into our heads or our lives, um, they come unexpected. And this happened to me recently this weekend where um, I had a, a death that if has it that has affected me is currently affecting me and will probably affect me for a while and i thought what better platform than to work through some of that and see if i can get through it um by talking about it and sharing it and since flower bombs is my platform to share things with whomever is listening and myself then here is a unprepared version of me dealing with death um and as I've kind of done in the past, I'm going to wing most of this, but I, I, like I said, I had something that happened to me recently. And so I just, I want to, I want to jump right in. Thank you for, um, for coming back. This is technically episode five. I had not planned to talk about death right now, but, um, we're going to go into it. So who, who, what, when, where, and why? Well, me, um, I'm dealing with some stuff and it is recent. And I have history and experience dealing with it. And so I want to try to work through this in a way that my brain can allow me to go through the emotional waves, experience them, but also understand them and figure out a way to make it efficient so I can get back to my life and not get behind. Um, because sometimes when a traumatic event comes into our life, we tend to, to do things that may separate us from the current position in our life or the current focus in our life. And I can already feel some of that happening. So um, I'm going to try to use this platform. And what is death? Death by definition, if you go to Google, uh, wiki quote, death is the permanent end of life of a biological organism. Death may refer to the end of life either as an event or condition. In many cultures and in arts, death is considered a being or otherwise personified, wherein it is usually capitalized as death. When? Well, a recent event, like I said, has prompted, and we all know death happens all the time. Um, where? I mean, it's it's that's a whole probably another conversation. But I wanted to get real quick to the why because we all die and where we die is not important and how we die is probably super important to those around us. I think the why and how we deal with it is where I'm framing this up and it means different things to different people. And I wanted to, I found this, this quick Google click link thing just now about the, Historical, historical perspectives of life. And the introduction says the beliefs and practices concerning death have changed throughout human history. In pre-modern times, death at a young age was common due to living conditions and medical practices. As medical science has advanced and helped humans live longer, attitudes and responses to death has also changed. Um, this was written by uh, David San Filipino. He's a PhD in Florida. And Basically, it kind of moves through that in, in modern Western society, death is often ignored or feared. Changes of lifestyle and improved medical science have depersonalized death and made it an, an encroachment on life instead of a part of life. This has left many people ill-equipped to deal with death when it touches their lives. Um, 
I thought that was a very interesting quote. And the last, the last part of this, uh, it's on digitalcommons.nl.edu. I imagine that's where he um, teaches in Florida. But the conclusion was that science and technology has failed to answer many of the questions people have in regarding to life and death. And many have turned inward in search of their own soul. Religious spiritual practices have increased in the United States, and there have been a decline in reports of religious affili affiliations after the growth of a religion of the 50s. With the aging of the parents and the baby boomers and the maturing of the boomers, the religious movements such as Jesus movements and other charismatic fund fundamentalist movements of the early 70s, more people were returning to practice religion. More attention has been given to the paranormal experience, such as near-death experiences, to provide possible glimpses into the afterlife realm. Books and research concerning these experiences have proliferated. They certainly have. And it's estimated that more than 5% of the United States population have had near-death experience and more and more people are becoming comfortable sharing what happened to them in those experiences. Pretty cool. Now, what, what, what does it even feel like to be around a near-death experience or be, have one of those? I don't know that I really have or had a near-death experience. Um, I, I do know that I've had experiences where I've felt empowered unbeknownst to me. And that's not an uncommon thing to have happen when you hear about traumatic events and car wrecks where people come up on a situations and you see death maybe and partial death or partial aliveness, however you want to look at it. And people have ripped car doors off and lifted car and done amazing feats because of what they have gone through immediately after witnessing it. It's a very quick connection. To end that point, I think it's a unique, introduction on how disconnected we are now modernly um, with what we have developed to the way that ancient people just had to deal with it. It was a part of life. It happened every day, but the communities were much smaller. Death was dealt with in much different way. There's It, it has a lot of other sections that go through ancient times. I'm not going to read through that, but <clears throat> point being, where we at today, where I'm at today is I'm literally sitting in front of my computer dealing with death in a way that I'm trying to reach down into my soul and talk about it and deal with it in a way that that's helpful because guess what? I, I found out through technology. I found out through a f social media, through a Facebook post from a longtime friend, from a Grover. And if you listen to episode four, you know what a Grover is. From a long time friend. But that's how we are attached to it now. That's how we can deal with death. It's a little bit more immediate. Had I not had the device that connected me to the person who I have the social media in connection with, it may have taken a little bit longer to deal with it. And how did they deal with it back in ancient times and, and, and pre-ancient times? These are all great discussions that, that I would love to dig into. But for now, this is moving through why I'm sitting in front of, of, of this now and why I'm trying to deal with what's going on in my life. And what it's like to be with somebody when they die. Uh, also just Googled this interesting article. It's on Dying Matters because it does, and it has this little section called being there at the end. Remember that hearing is thought to be the last sense 
to go in the dying process. So never assume that the person is unable to hear you. Talk as if they can hear you, even if they appear to be unconscious or restless. If possible, lower lighting until it's soft or light candles, making sure that they burn in a safe place. Try to keep the bright sunlight away from a dying person's face and eyes. And you can create a peaceful, soothing atmosphere by playing a favorite song or music or something in the background. Strong physical contact can be painful or invasive. It's often best to just sit beside the bed and gently hold their hand. If appropriate, a gentle massage to the feet or hands can provide comfort. Remember, it's impossible to predict when death can actually happen, so people can hover between life and death for hours, they often in days. It's easy to miss the final moment. <laughs> Again, this is uh, on dyingmatters.org. You can find that article there. Um, last part of it was, <clears throat> last section was, was titled Immediately Afterwards, and it's, and it's a quick paragraph. It's not unusual that after someone's died, especially when you were present at the time, to feel disconnected from people, places, or things. It can feel as if you are in a dream or looking through life through frosted glass. It can be especially difficult when you are thrown into the intensity of making funeral arrangements. It can be hard to explain how you're feeling, especially to those who have never witnessed death, but feeling strange or disconnected from reality for a period of time is understandable when they have watched someone die. You may also feel that you are being forced to face your own mortality, or you may feel like you don't know what to do with yourself, or you can find yourself aimlessly wandering around, feeling lost and alone and deeply questioning everything in your life. However, you experience what happens. Life will never be the same again. It can't be after something so profound. Over the following weeks and months, if there may be some emotional and spiritual rawness that throws up feelings of anger as well as grief, for others it can be truly liberating. We really only know what we deal with and as far as we go through our grieving process. It's very personal. How do you deal with it? What's your experience? Well, I have some experience in that. Um, like I talked about in episode four, when I, I started it off by mentioning about my father when I was 11 and a half. And this was right around the same time when I was going to Grove School. And I had my teammates. And I, had, uh, I think I was talking about the Tornadoes and the co-ed soccer team. Well, most of that was, was made up of Grovers. Well, we lost a Grover this last weekend, folks, and, and she was a good one. She was one of the best, maybe the sweetest of them all. And we know that heaven has an angel now because that was probably the sweetest and kindest young lady that, that I had known for a, for a long period of time. But we lost a good angel today. Well, not today, this past week. And, and how I'm dealing with it right now is, is realistically, it's, uh, it's comes in waves. It's an emotional wave. It's, as I read this last part about immediately afterwards, it, that's kind of what's going on. I don't have to make funeral arrangements. Um, we, we do live in separate states, but this was someone that I grew up with and went to grade school with, Grove with, junior high with, high school with. 
college with. Um, my sister was a little bit younger than her sister. I think I we probably dated two or three times in grade school and junior high. I don't remember, but who didn't have a crush on her? She was the sweetest. She 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 was the one that listened to the best, but always had the funniest thing to say. Was not the loudest of this all, but had the brightest smile. Um, and she was always there. Always would lend a, a kindness and support that was just unparalleled. And and I go back to the way I found out about it was through through fo- uh, Facebook, social media, and and the overpouring now of memories and pictures and things that a lot of my old friends from that time in my youth are pumping up. And it's hard not to feel like, okay, this isn't about me. I I, I don't want to like say something like, well, I have, here's my picture. No, but it kind of is because we are now going through this healing process of exposing why it's important. And this is our funeral. We're we're gonna do it online. We're gonna talk about it. We're gonna. I'm getting text messages, um, and we're gonna reach out to each other. And that's how we deal with things, right? To check in and be like, "Oh man, I love you. I, it's been a long time, but yeah, it sucks. I can't tell you how many texts I just sent out in the last, you know, 24 hours. Of like, send the love, man. I love you. I love you, man. I know this sucks. This sucks. This sucks because it's a real dichotomy of being heartbroken to an extent of just overwhelming emotion at times and a flood of these amazing memories. And when I say memories, I mean my youth memories, not just like, yeah, I've known, I, I knew her for a long time, but like the best memories, <laughs> like the, the ones where I was sneaking out of my house with the boys to go meet the girls at her house because she had the trampoline and a bunch of uh, blankets and stuff. And we would just lay out onto the big sky in Oklahoma and look at the stars and talk about life and our hopes and our dreams and the things that 14, 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds did. That was about the time we did that. <laughs> Um, she was the glue. She was always in the mix. She was always around. She always had her girls back. Yeah, she was, she was a a real good friend and, and, and talented as heck, man. Played basketball, was the cheerleader, was a, you name it. I mean, and, and a writer would, was very, man, just a sweet girl. Just a a sweet girl. I'll end with this because... (laughs) I don't know who will remember this from Grove, but I think I spilled some red Kool-Aid on, I think it was in band class, maybe. Um, get some text messages. And I I spilled some red Kool-Aid on her shirt, on her dress, like a little dress. And there's, I don't think they could ever get that out. And I never lived that down. And I always, as I got older and we relived that story over and over and over, I started to realize how stupid that was. But how that just describes my, you know, over the years, my relationship with Samantha, I would try anything to get her attention. And at a dumb age, young age, I decided to, I guess, pour some red Kool-Aid on her dress. Such an idiotic move. But she smiled. She was sweet. She never let it live me down, but she never threw me under the bus for it. And man... (laughs) <laughs> thank you for that um trampolines and red kool-aid today folks 
just trying to think about the positive things. The the negative is going to come, and it'll be overwhelming. It's the positive things that I just want to give life and give more time to. So that's that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Um, also, something that that happened to me recently, and I'll sh- I'll I'll probably share this my last bit of uh, personal with with about death is. This made me think about my dad first, but it also made me think about my grandpa Clay. And it talked about the moment of death and what can occur. That was the article from dyingmatters.org um, about how people can maybe hear you and just being present and things like this. So I was obviously the last couple years or a year and a half my, before my grandfather passed, his deterioration went down. And this is just stubborn old honor, man. I mean, he's. He moved himself into a senior home because that's, he, he had that figured out. You know, he was going to make that choice. He had his funeral all tight. He was making that choice. He was the, he was the king, the mayor of the, of the senior's home. That's for sure. And I tell you what, see, seeing my grandpa get old and die, just to be blunt, was, was a real remarkable process because he, he kind of enjoyed it. I think he was discovering things about himself when he had to finally let his little farm go and sell his last bit of horses and move up from Broken Bow to be closer to uh, his children. And But he also got reconnected with them. And I know from my mom's point of view, she she got to spend some unique time with him in that way again. Um and I guess that's the full circle of life. And I think, for, I know for my sister and I, we saw the change in him. He, he uh, my sister and he had a very special bond. Um, and and he, he was a, oh, I a little tough love for me every now and then. But in his, before his passing, the time before that, you know, we just saw him really open up and getting him to say, I love you and things like that were always a really challenge for us as kids. But as he got older and passed, it was it was really easier to connect with him. But the point is, his death also took a little bit of time. There were some months where he had a fall and he'd fight back and come through it. Or he'd something happened, he'd come back and we're like, oh, okay, is this it? We're like, oh, okay, no, no, no. But but I've gone through death before. I've gone through long versions of death. I've gone through traumatic and short versions of death. I've gone through death I didn't understand. I've just been told that some death had happened. It happens. But it was around Christmas, and I had started to drive back to Oklahoma from Los Angeles because I had got Sky, my dog, and I didn't want to fly with her. I wanted to drive with her and spend time with my family. Well, <clears throat> the last the last Christmas with my grandpa we thought he's going to make it there. We thought he's going to make it to Christmas Day. And that was my plan. I was going to leave around the 21st or so, give me a day and a half to drive to Oklahoma. I'll see him um, on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and, and that will probably be my last Christmas with Grandpa. And I remember getting a call. I believe it was a Sunday from my mom. And she's like, hey, uh, Grandpa fell again. I was all right. Well, what's up? Well, we're going to put him in hospice. What do you mean put him in hospice? They're like, well, we're not going to bring somebody here. He don't, he don't want to stay here. We don't want him to stay here. We're going to, I found a place. I'm like, okay, I found a place. So this is a really nice place um, where they have hospice type services at in Oklahoma. And I remember within, I don't know, half a day, 
packing up everything I had, figuring out a way to take off work, closing shop and getting things out of my life, throwing my dog in a car and jumping in the car. And it all happened within like five or six hours. And it was at least two or three days before I had planned to go. But I got in the car on the 20th. I know that. Um, because when I got up to drive from Flagstaff to Oklahoma City in one day on the 20th, when I left on the 19th, on the 20th, I was pulling, I was pulling all day here. And I remember coming in Oklahoma City, it was maybe about, I don't know, 1030 or 11. My cousin is the last of my family there with him for the evening. And they had all kind of been with him and gone through some of this process and, and, and were pretty much prepared for it. I was driving in, my sister was unable to be there at the time. And so he's texting me, he's like, hey man, everybody's bailing, are you gonna, are you coming here? Are you going to your mom's, what are you doing? And I texted him back, I remember I was like, hey, I'm just gonna go to my mom's, I'm gonna take a shower, I've been in the car for two days with my dog, I'm gonna run up there first thing in the morning. He's like, dude, just come by, I'll stick around, I wanna see you. Well, cool, if he was gonna be there, you know what, I can get there by like 11 something and cool, it's all good. I remember pulling into the parking lot, it was 11.17 or something like that, man, it was, Round about a quarter after 11. And I walk in, I, you know, he's there, he greets me. He's like, yeah, everybody just took off maybe half hour ago. Uh, he's doing well. I'm just sitting there. It's all cool. I'm like, okay, cool. And so I just, I kind of walk ahead of him and walk right into the room first and walk right into the chair, sit next to my grandpa and just grab his hand and clasp it in between my two. And I sit there and just kind of look at him and he's there. I mean, he's not conscious but he's, he's breathing and I'm just watching him and I'm getting accustomed to the room and how it feels and trying to just be peaceful and give good vibes. And then my cousin comes walking in a couple minutes later, maybe five, 10 minutes have passed. And, and he's standing there with his arms crossed and in his, and his, and his hand over his lip and, you know, just kind of like looking like, and he's like, Hey man, my, Michael's here. He's like, Grandpa Michael's here. I didn't. I hadn't said anything at this point. I, I really, I hadn't said anything. And I was like, Hey, Grandpa. And I felt like he gave me a little squeeze right there. I'm like, Okay. And then, and then his his face changed. My cousin's, and he walked out of the room. I'm like, Okay, what's going on? And then he comes right back in. He's like, Michael, something's happening. He's changing. He's like, he was different. He's like, since we've come back in, he's different. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I don't know. And I see my grandpa start to kind of gasp differently, you know, and it's, and that was it. And I remember looking up and it was maybe 1140-ish, quarter, quarter to midnight, something like that. I think by the time I had walked into the room, I think I sat there maybe for 12 minutes, 13 minutes, park the car, shoot the text, come to the door, all the things, sit down, calm down. But I heard him take that last gasp and that was it. And I remember just looking at, at, at Sean, we just had our moment. I was like, go out and get the nurse and have him call time of death. Time of death. 
it was it was it was the most serene calm moment i have had with death ever and certainly my cousin and i have that to share moving forward as we deal with the immediately afterwards right and we have we speak in reverence about that that moment to each other and how we got to share that and the and the end of that story is also amazing because we we he didn't do an immediate funeral of course he had something down the road and i remember going back to uh oklahoma for a family reunion down in um i think it's still in arkansas yeah and um because i would camp with my buddies and we we got to uh have a service my, my uncle got to to give him a memorial presentation my cousin got to walk up on stage with his father and grab the ashes because we had him cremated and we took gran grandpa out to the, the the cemetery and we all had some shovels and we had a pre-dug hole and i was just sitting there and my cousin walks up to me hands me my grandpa's ashes and I put those sucker right down the hole. And then we all throw some dirt on it and we got out of there, man. We had a great time. That was exactly what he wanted to do. And and that process from the moment when he passed to the moment when he was put down in there and we all had that rejoicing moment was kind of top to bottom. That was it. Moved through that one pretty good, pretty healthy way. And I'm very grateful for my mom and my and my uncle and everyone on that side of my family for kind of giving me that path to get through with them. And it was really fun closing that down at the family reunion. And I'm going to end this episode with a couple other things about the things that we can do to honor those that are in death. Um, one of the things that happened this past week, and I unfortunately could not go, um, but one of my good friends, Joe Tim, was able to go and was um, trying to promote other people going to the Pat Tillman Foundation. It's called Pat's Run. It happened in California out here uh, this past week in the 27th, I believe. Um, that just happens to be, now that I say it out loud, the day I lost my, my, uh, my Grover girlfriend this last weekend. But you can go to pattillmanfoundation.org. And you can read about his story and the fallen soldiers and and everything about his story, what he gave up and sacrificed to go and do what he did and how he is honored um, by this foundation. So please go check it out. Thank you to Joe Tim for pointing me in that direction and um, for his service going down there, supporting them. Also, one of the things that I wanted to, to close is because um, we've got the Memorial Day coming up, is Murphy. And why Why Murphy? And what is Murphy? Well, Murphy a, is a CrossFit workout. We call them WODs, W-O-D. And it's a hero WOD. It's a workout of the day. And it's a tribute to fallen first responders or a member of the military who's died in the line of duty. Some of the hero WODs are listed um, online, you can find them on the CrossFit main site. There's a, uh, a billion, Wadwell is another one, wadwell.com. And military, law enforcement, first responder communities were among the, the earliest proponents of CrossFit. Their intensity matched with the fitness 
CrossFit provides. And it was a match made in heaven. When service member dies in the line of duty, a CrossFit hero workout is created in their name. And hero wads are an opportunity to reflect on the sacrifice of the fallen to speak their names and honor their memories. And these workouts have been a tradition of workout gyms since for the last decade. Um, you could find them online. And, and again, there's one coming up. We do it on Memorial Day at Brick CrossFit. You can find it in West Hollywood, Santa Monica Boulevard, just east of Fairfax. And we're going to go do Murphy. Murphy, uh, I'll, I'll let you know what Murphy is. It is four time, a one mile run, 100 pull-ups and 200 push-ups and 300 air squats and then another one mile run all with a weight vest i think a 20 pound weight vest if i'm not mistaken somebody's gonna have to get me to wear a, a weight vest i i still have yet to do that one with a weight vest but i do like to do it in progression the way he did it the 100 200 300 by the time you get 300 air squats you go try to run another mile you, you you're in trouble but i will say that no matter if you walk or run or scale it or whatever you do to get through that workout, Murphy, there is no better community or supportive group than um, what CrossFit was and why they did this or gyms or any fitness center community you go to. Um, it's a really fun uh, way to give back. And we try to make it very inclusive um, at our gym with sponsors and, and obviously donations and all kinds of stuff. But it also, when you're, again, when you're, would you do 300 air squats after all that other work and you try to go out and just do one more mile and you're in pain and you're struggling and you think about the sacrifice um, that somebody has made, which is the ultimate sacrifice, and that is death. And I'll end that right there. That's flowers. Yeah, this is. It's flower bombs. Episode five.